I want to thank you for joining into our Bible study again this evening and want to encourage you to have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been studying over the last several weeks the foundational understanding of what we have in our salvation. We're deepening our scriptural basis, understanding, our depth of knowledge of our condition before salvation, of the amazing grace of God, and what our salvation means. Now, we are going to get really practical, and Paul is going to use, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some visual imagery that'll take just a little bit of work. I want to work through some verses beginning in verse 14, and I want you to notice what it says, speaking of Jesus, for he is our peace. Jesus is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now remember, up to this point, he is speaking about the Gentile condition prior to salvation. And so here, he is speaking of the Gentile and the Jew, and Jesus is our peace, making both one. In effect, creating a third race, a heavenly race. He has broken down the middle wall of partition. The separation has been broken down by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Now, it's a fact that in these days that we live, there are dividing walls. Dividing walls of race, dividing walls of generation, dividing walls of class. And one wrote this, We must shake the earth anew with the message of Christ, for Christ comes to break down the barriers. Our world, no doubt, is a world divided on many levels and across a very wide spectrum. Our world is a world of difference. There are political differences. Many times those political differences result in war, as do class and race differences. There's division, there's strife. It's not just here in the United States of America, but it ails the entire globe. There are social differences, and those differences cause division. There are differences even within the home. The fact is, sometimes there's fighting that goes on between spouses. Sometimes there's fighting that goes on between siblings, between children. Sometimes there's fighting between parents and children, children and parents, extended members of the family. All of these differences translate into division, strife. Sadly, there's division within the church, differences within the church that breed this division. There's differences in style of worship. There's differences in doctrinal belief. There's differences in types of music. There's differences in dress codes, countless other differences. And many times those differences cause division within the church. That reality of a divided world 
of difference, a divided home of difference, a divided church of difference is not something that is new. It existed in the world of the Apostle Paul. Certainly, he must have grasped that as he penned that Jesus Christ is our peace, making one and breaking down the wall of partition, eliminating differences, thus eliminating division. That wall of partition, a wall of hostility. The fact is, there was a very real symbol of division in the wall that surrounded the inner courtyard of the Jewish temple at Jerusalem and the outermost courtyards. Let me read just a little interesting historical tidbit about the temple. The temple of Paul's day was built by Herod the Great. It was built to replace the older temple that had been built in the days of Nehemiah. Much of it, we're told, was overlaid with gold. It was really the glory of the city of Jerusalem. It was worth going by just to see. Sat on a raised platform within the city, what we would call the Temple Mount. Now we're told that the temple was surrounded by courts. Let me expound on that just a moment. The innermost court was called the Court of the Priests. And it was a fact that only male members of the priestly tribe of Levi could ever enter into it. There was next the court of Israel. That could be entered into by someone who was a Jew. After that, there was the court of women. That was as far as a woman could go in this particular hierarchy. From this court of women, you would descend five steps to a level area, which was then erected or had a wall about five feet in height, and then you would go to another level space and descend another 14 steps, and then you would arrive at the court of Gentiles, 19 steps down, on the far outskirts. Archaeologists have recovered a sign that once hung on the wall. In fact, history teaches us that this sign hung on the entrances of the Jewish area of the temple, written in Hebrew and in Greek and in Latin. And here's what the sign said. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the enclosure and sanctuary. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. This declared hostility based on difference. This revealed a tiered system, a hierarchy. It declared partition, separation. It was a very real physical barrier, the wall of partition. And in verse 14, as we've worked through what salvation affords us, we're introduced to the reality that Jesus Christ is our peace. And he has made one out of two, the Jew and the Gentile. And he has broken down the wall of partition. Doesn't mean he physically went in and broke down the wall there in the temple, but he broke down the wall of separation between the two, one now in Christ. Now he continues, note in verse 15, having abolished 
in his flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, of two, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now, that's a lot in those verses. It's amplifying what we've already read in verse 14 in a way. The key phrase in there is, Jesus is our peace. He accomplishes this by the cross. The enmity that once existed was slain on the cross. We have this peace through Jesus. And I talked a little bit about the barriers that existed, but the reality is the greatest barrier was not outside the temple with those courts and the wall of partition and the steps down or having to work your way up, but rather within the temple itself. And if you've been around church for any length of time, if you have some awareness of the Old Testament and the tabernacle and the temple, you'll remember the holy place was separated from that holy of holies area with a great veil. Now we're told again that was a curtain about six inches thick and it was used to seal off that space. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God was understood to dwell there, the mercy seat. In other words, one said, the entire system of this inner veil and outer walls was not merely to show the differences among people, but to show the greatest and most fundamental difference, the alienation of people from God. Let me continue. One said, when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, he tore down the social walls between the Jews and the Gentiles, and he tore down the spiritual wall between lost sinners and a holy God. This literally happened when Jesus died on the cross, and the Bible tells us the veil in the temple was rent. Jesus, this verse tells us, takes both Jew and Gentile, and in himself, in Christ, makes of twain one new man. These two people groups, which were so opposite, hostile, opposed to one another, Jesus in Christ, in the finished work of the cross, creates a brand new person. He takes sinners and makes them the body of Christ. One old church writer, an early church father said this, it's as if God took one statue of silver and another of lead, threw them into the furnace, and they came out a statue of gold. Not only have they become one, they have also been made better. In Jesus Christ, division dissipates. Why? Because differences disappear. In Christ, that happens. We are made right with a holy God in Christ. Not because of our adherence to the law. 
We're made right with God because of Jesus. We're made right with one another because of Jesus. Everything that stands between us is destroyed in Jesus. That's just a fact. It says that Jesus abolished in his flesh the enmity. He abolished the enmity in his flesh. That's a strong phrase there having abolished the enmity thereby. Abolished simply means he renders inoperative. He deprives the enmity of force or of power. Jesus came along. He fully kept the law of God. He fulfilled the law of God. And now Romans 10 verse 14 tells us that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Through his death, Jesus Christ rendered the law inoperative. It is of none effect. There is now no condemnation. The law holds no claim over us anymore. We are free from its power to condemn. It merely serves the purpose of revealing to us our sinful condition. Now, let me expound on that by using this from Romans chapter 7. Paul said this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the Lord took the law, which reveals to us our sinful condition and desperate need of a Savior, fulfilled the law, obeyed, adhered to the law of God, and in his death abolished the power of the law. The fact is, he broke down the middle wall of partition. Social differences disappear in Christ Jesus. He broke down the spiritual wall, which separated sinful man from a holy God. In his atoning and completed work on the cross. And thus, we have peace with God and with other believers. He is our peace. The word peace in this passage, it's in there three times, verse 14, verse 15, and it's in verse 17 as well. And it says, he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We have peace. That's what Jesus accomplished between the Jew and the Gentile. We have peace. That's what Jesus accomplished between man and God. What is that peace? One commentator said this, It refers to a tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing him, uh, fearing nothing him and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort it is. The fact is, it's a tranquil state of soul that did not previously exist. He preached it. It's the gospel. It's the good news. He preached peace. To you that were afar off, he preached peace to those that were nigh. 
He's telling us that Jesus Christ secured peace with God through his death on the cross. And beautifully, he has gone out to both the Jew and the Gentile, declaring the good news that both can be saved from their sin. This world of hostility, this world dominated by difference, this world where we see the differences create incredible division in Christ that is abolished, this world that longs for peace, and cannot find it through any human means, has it in Jesus. Think of how visual the apostle is being. And remember how he began chapter 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He's telling us about our past condition. But God, who is rich in mercy and great in love and amazing in grace, sent Jesus and now... We are saved, we're quickened, we're brought to life in Christ. He expounded on that even more. You as a Gentile, you didn't even have hope. You were without God in the world. You didn't even have the covenant promise. And Jesus came and bridged that gap. How stunning is it to be thankful for our salvation, which brought us from death to life, from our salvation, which brought us from being far away to near. We who were once strangers and foreigners and aliens and outsiders are now fellow citizens. This is the declaration of that third race, as it were. He's going further. How does this happen? How do we have this elimination of differences? How do we have this heavenly citizenship, this race of believers? Here's how. Jesus, he is our peace. Remember this entire social structure that was the temple and all of the differences? He came and he broke down the middle wall of partition. Remember how there was hostility between the Jew and the Gentile in Christ, both are one. Out of those two, he has made one new man. That's the beautiful illustration of one statue of lead, one statue of silver goes into the furnace, and it comes out a statue of gold, something new and something better. He's ripped down the spiritual partition. A holy God that we were separated from because of our sin who were at enmity with God. That enmity between man and God is abolished in Jesus Christ. That hostility between Jew and Gentile, it's abolished in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Peace, 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 three times over. He came and he preached peace, the good news of the gospel. That tranquil state of soul, he preached it to those that were afar off, that's us, the Gentile, to those that were nigh, that is the Jew, it is there for everybody. Through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. There is one mediator between God and man, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The law is not going to get it done. Good deeds is not going to accomplish it. You are not going to meditate your way to this tranquility of soul. You're not going to sit at a negotiating, bargaining table and find a way to arrive at this peace that is offered only through Jesus. It is ultimately reconciliation. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, there's five points of reconciliation that we experience in salvation. He said there's a change from a hostile to a friendly 
relationship. That's reconciliation. Secondarily, he said, there's not merely doing away with the estrangement, but there's a reuniting, there's a reconnecting that happens with true reconciliation. Third, he said, it means here that the enmity is so completely laid aside that complete amity follows. It is not a compromise, the kind of thing that happens so often when a conference has gone on. It's not compromise. It is not a deadlock and somebody suddenly gets the idea to patch it up for a moment. It's complete concord where there was formerly hostility. He expands again. He says, fourth, it's not merely that the two partners to the trouble have decided to come together. This word implies that it is one of the parties that take the action. It is the upper one that does it. Fifth, he said, it carries the meaning of being restored to something that was there before. Reconciliation. There can't be a more beautiful word. One in God, reconciliation out of division is ultimately what we desire. You can look high and low. You can try a myriad of methods. It exists in Jesus. I began by saying the fact is we live in a divided world. There's political differences. There are lifestyle differences. There's social differences. There's there's difference within the home. There's differences within the church. The result of those differences oftentimes, too often, is division. And in Jesus, that is eliminated. There is neither bond nor free. All are one in Jesus. In our salvation, we have this opportunity for peace. The tranquil state of our soul. Now, when you really stop and get practical with this, division is an ugly thing. It's a bad testimony. The church, your home, your marriage as a believer should represent unity to the world in Jesus Christ. Do it. Does your marriage, does your home show that? Does the church show that? Do it. The fact is... This is a powerful, theological, foundational truth that we have peace and Jesus is our peace. If there is division, it is because we have gotten away from Jesus. As we work through the remainder of this chapter, we're really going to get into the church. And it is of utmost importance for us to see now the ultimate depiction of this unity that we have is shown out in the church to a world that needs us to preach peace unto them like Jesus did, to them that are far off, to those that are nigh. The good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us this week to understand this better and to live it out more clearly. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. 
Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.